Welcome to the Unfair Podcast. Hello and welcome to the OMFIF podcast. My name is Taylor Pierce and I'm a senior economist on OMFIF's research team. Here with me today is Eric Arispe Morales, Senior Director of Sovereigns at Fitch Ratings. We'll be discussing the upcoming elections in Turkey, which has gone on to a runoff election now scheduled for this Sunday, the 20th of May. Welcome, Eric. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you very much, Taylor. And it's a pleasure to be participating in the discussion today about Turkey. Great. So the world is watching this election, not only for what it means for Turkey's democracy and its place in the region, but also what this means for the country's economy. As we all know, the Turkish economy has been battered by some of the highest levels of inflation in the world over the past few years, and the situation was not made easier by the tragic earthquake in eastern Turkey this February. All this to say, there's a lot riding in this election politically and economically. So with that, I'd like to just get into the questions. Eric, could you briefly explain the domestic, political, and economic situation right now in Turkey? And what's the background behind this election? Sure. I think that we can take a look from two related perspectives. First of all, the institutional one, and then also take a look at how these institutional changes in Turkey have impacted economic policy making for the past few years. So as we know, President Erdogan has been at the center of Turkey's politics for over two decades, first as prime minister, then as president, and the centralization or concentration of power around the figure of the president and his influence increased significantly after 2017 constitutional referendum, which uh, replaced the existing parliamentary system at the time with executive presidency one, which in our view entrenched the erosion of checks and balances and institutional independence in Turkey that had taken place in previous years. On the economic policy front, monetary policy in Turkey had long been subject to political constraints. But since 2018, the president's view on monetary policy have become more public and his influence has all increased over time. For example, we saw three different central bank governors in less than two years between 2019 and 2021. And leading to the 2021-2023 cycle, we saw that the president seemed to anticipate or drive the direction and implementation of the monetary in spite of the high inflation and increasingly evident macroeconomic and external risks. As a result, I mean, the current election has been in the making, we can say for a long time, from the policy perspective, with a focus on maintaining high growth and employment creation. In fact, we think that we can understand different policy measures of the past couple of years having the electoral event in mind. For instance, we saw the abrupt dismissal of Governor Akbal in early 2021 due to a greater than expected tightening cycle. We saw the destabilizing monetary policy easing cycle of late 2021 to support growth, and then the introduction of the new economic model as the center of decision-making on the economic policy sphere for Turkey. Also in early 2023, we saw a series of measures such as large increase in minimum wages, public sector wages, pensions, to compensate for the high inflation we saw in 2022. But in that context, what we saw also is that this election presented a real challenge to the incumbent president. The leader volatility that we saw in recent years and the inflation shock in 2022, which was compounded by the war in Ukraine, weighed on the government support and polls pointed to the possibility actually of the opposition table of six alliance could have an advantage in the general elections of March. 
of May. The tragic events in February became also a factor in terms of the readiness and management of the natural disaster, as well as the prospect for reconstruction. So in early May, we have a picture in which the possibility of a change in government was present, but nonetheless, as the electoral results have shown us from the first round of elections and parliamentary election results, certainly we can never count the president out. Great. Yeah. So it sounds like there's a lot going on at the domestic level. And I'll come back to some of the unorthodox approaches that Turkey has taken to economic and monetary policy making in just a second. But I was wondering if you could also speak a bit to where Turkey fits in the kind of fragmented geopolitical situation in which we find ourselves, especially following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. So uh, over the past decade, from our point of view, Turkey has exercised a more assertive and independent foreign policy, managing a variety of interests, relations across different regions. So even before the start of the war in Ukraine, we had maintained our view that geopolitical risks for Turkey were elevated, leading to sometimes recurrent tensions with Western partners, such as the US and the EU, but also Russia, which could have potential implications, for example, as a result of sanctions on the economy that became, became more fragile. In terms of relations with the US, for example, we saw first in 2019, the purchase of the X-400 Russian missile system. As a result, in December 2020, the US applied limited sanctions under the Countering America's Adversaries Through Sanctions Act. Although sanctions remain narrow in scope and not significantly affected the Turkish economy. Another source, of course, of unresolved tension has been the U.S. cooperation with the Kurdish People Protection Units, the YPG in Syria. In terms of relations with the EU, the EU actually issued personal sanctions against Turkish officials involving natural gas prospecting in the eastern Mediterranean. And progress towards reform of the customs union's relationship has not materialized in spite of different announcements and attempts. Also, we have seen Turkey's policy announcement regarding Cyprus creating additional tensions and noise in the bilateral relationship. Also, we have seen Turkey undertake a variety of military operations in northern Syria, Libya, and Turkey has supported Azerbaijan efforts in the Nagorno-Karabakh conflict, which also created or could create at the time a source of additional tension with Russia, for instance. Nevertheless, over the past couple of years, Turkey has sought to improve relations with countries in the regions as Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates and Egypt after being in opposite sides following the Arab Spring. The war in Ukraine, as you mentioned, has created challenges for Turkey to balance relations between the West and Russia, uh, but has provided Turkey also leverage as a credible or acceptable mediator in the conflict. On the one hand, Turkey supports the territorial integrity of Ukraine and has supplied weapons, most notably the Bayraktar drones. But Turkey has also not applied sanctions or enforced sanctions against Russia. And as publicly stated by government officials, has sought to actually deepen its economic cooperation with Russia in the areas of trade, energy of investment. In addition to the long-established economic relations in terms of Turkey being an energy importer and a tourist destination for Russians. More recently, the NATO enlargement has become a source of tension or disagreement due to Turkey's refusal to first open membership to Finland and Sweden, and more recently, approving the accession of Finland while not giving a definite answer on Sweden. 
because of concerns regarding its alleged support or tolerance for the PKK activities. Right, sounds like, well, Turkey has always fit somewhere uneasily between East and West. As you mentioned, they're becoming much more assertive in their foreign policy on a number of fronts. So it's interesting to see how this will play out. Just to come back to economic and monetary policy, so as you mentioned, Turkey has taken an unconventional or unorthodox approach um, to monetary policy over the past few years. In Fitch, you have noted that weak external finances, growing economic distortions due to increasingly interventionist and unconventional policies, as well as political and geopolitical risks, are behind the B rating and negative outlook for the country. Could you discuss specifically what has the impact been on Turkey's central bank reserves, currency, access to external financing, and economic health more broadly? Sure. Let, let me tackle the, the first part of your question first, and then we can talk about uh, you know, the, the implications for Turkey's credit profile and some of the indicators you, you mentioned. Uh, first, you know, I mean, Turkey for a long time has experimented with cycles of expansionary monetary policies, which will follow a widening of the current account deficit, pressures on the exchange rate, inflationary pressures, with a policy response characterized by raising interest rates like in 2018 or 2020. Then you would have a premature policy easing, meaning that inflation was not fully under control, which would lead again to the repetition of the previous cycle. What is interesting about what happened, for instance, in 2021, is that previous episodes tended to be prompted by external shocks or perceptions that the CBRT policy was behind the curve. What we saw between September and December 2021 was that the central bank cut rates by 500 basis points despite increasing inflation, deteriorating domestic confidence, and a positive output gap. This in turn has resulted in an additional episode of financial stress, which in our view has led to increased external vulnerabilities, inflation being entrenched at high levels, and weaker policy credibility. Since the policy response to this destabilizing event of late 2021 was different, it, it is worth mentioning you know, how it fits into the policy framework or the policy view of the Turkish government. They have articulated their policy settings as part of a new economic model. So what does this model entail? The model defends the view that lower interest rates can lead to lower inflation because by supporting specific sectors of the economy, especially export-oriented ones. It will lead to higher investment, higher employment, and higher growth. However, also this affordable financing uh, would support export growth, which in turn could reduce the current account deficit and actually convert it into a surplus and would be an anchor for exchange rate stability, lower inflation, and reduce dependence on what they perceive as volatile capital flows. So you would have, as a result as well, a permanent decline in inflation and also as of financial dollarization. Nevertheless, authorities have faced a challenging balancing act in the run-up to the general election of 2023. As part of its new economic model, they prioritized growth and employment creation, but also had to manage or contain the pressures resulting from deeply negative real interest rates, given that Tightening monetary policy via higher interest rates does not seem to be politically feasible. They have to try to aim or underpin their anti-inflation strategy on a stable exchange rate. So authorities have tightened capital flow management measures and introduced hundreds of targeted regulations and administrative measures 
with the objective to first boost the central bank international reserves, manage the pace and direction of credit, and as part of its leadization strategy, increase the share of local currency in financial transactions, sectoral balance sheets, and as a result, reduce permanently financial dollarization. It's worth mentioning that a key element or component of the authority's policy response since late 2021 has been the introduction of the FX protected deposit, which in simple terms allows holders of term deposits to get compensation if the lira depreciation over the term of the deposit is greater than its nominal interest rate. Compensation uh, is financed by the central bank for foreign currency deposits converted into the new instruments and by the treasury for lira deposits converted into the new instrument. Nevertheless, looking at the macroeconomic performance overall of Turkey over the past year and a half, we can say that this new set of policies, the new instruments, the new macroprudential measures or capital flow management measures have not reduced macroeconomic and financial stability risk have not replenished Turkey's external buffers, and the lira have continued to remain under significant pressure. Also, how does this fit into the second part of your question? You know, how do we reflect that into other indicators that we have seen for Turkey? From a rating perspective, actually, since late 2021, we have downgraded Turkey sovereign rating twice from WB minus, and that's a similar level to Brazil and South Africa, for instance. This is reflecting the increasing macroeconomic and financial and external vulnerabilities and risks created by Turkey policy mix. And this has resulted again, as you mentioned, record high inflation, large current account deficit, sustained pressure on lead of international reserves. At the current rating level, we maintain a negative outlook. The current rating level is B. And as a context, just to provide you know, the sort of pressures that we've seen in Turkey over the past year and a half, I mean, the exchange rate has depreciated by 43% in 2021, followed by a depreciation of 31% in 2022 against the US dollar. The increased exchange rate volatility and the inflationary impact of the commodity price shock as a result of the war in Ukraine has led to record high inflation that peaked in October at 85% and leading to an average inflation for 2022 of about 73%, the highest since the 90s, and the third highest among all the sovereigns rated by Fitch. Uh, the current account deficit has widened to 54 billion, or 5.4% of GDP in 2021, and this is the highest since 2013. And although uh, we saw an improvement last year, year on year, in international reserves to about 129 billion, from 111 billion in 2021. If we make a comparison based on the levels of current external payments, meaning the, the payments you make on the current account site in terms of months, we saw a decline to 3.8 months, which is the lowest since 2008. So also it's, it's worth also keeping in mind that the structure of international reserves uh, remains weak for Turkey and with net reserves excluding swaps with domestic banks or other central banks, deeply in negative territory in spite of this capital flow management measure introduced or effect protected deposits, which were thought to actually rebuild reserves for the central bank. What is interesting, I think it makes Turkey unique from other countries that have faced similar pressures on the exchange rate or the balance of payment, is that external finances has been relatively resilient, both for the private sector and the sovereign, although it has become significantly more expensive. 
And interestingly, the sovereign has been able to issue around $13.5 billion since October. So certainly, in spite of all the story that I have just told you regarding you know, the, the different policy mix implemented since late 2021, the war in Ukraine, the increase in balances, Turkey was able to access market repeatedly in the first part of this year. But we maintain a negative outlook, as we said, and this reflects our view that Turkey, this expansionary inconsistent policy mix with negative real rates and this reliance on regulatory measures and controls will maintain the pressures we've seen until now, and they're becoming more evident with this electoral episode. Great. Thanks for going through that very comprehensive list of all the economic developments and, and policy responses. It's perhaps laudable <laughs> for the government to try to pursue a, a different policy mix, but I, I think, as, as you mentioned, it, it doesn't seem that it's uh, kind of delivered on the promises that were that were made. Just to come now to the election, what are some of the main economic policies of incumbent President Erdogan and the opposition candidate Kilic Sarulu, and how could they affect Turkey's economic outlook? First, it's important to say, I think, that the growing economic imbalances or distortions that are a result of this expansionary and unconventional policy mix are becoming more evident, right? So regardless of who wins, the next government will still face a challenging economic backdrop, and they'll have to deal with pent-up foreign exchange demand, pressures on the lira, a wide current account deficit, declining international reserves, and still very high inflation. So, of course, I mean, both candidates going into the second round have proposed different policy approaches to address these issues, right? Until now, I mean, the, the incumbent authorities have defended their policy and vote to maintain interest rates low and may continue to rely on targeted regulations to manage currency and macroeconomic pressures, right? Nevertheless, we have to... Uh, to mention that you know the challenges for this an incumbent government to manage these economic challenges will be significant, right? Uh, the risk is that policy adjustments lacking credibility or predictability could exacerbate the currency pressures and weight on external financing or domestic confidence. The opposition has signaled that they will take a different path and will return to a more conventional policy approach especially on the monetary policy side, focusing or underpinning inflation targeting as a tool to lower inflation and by confirming central bank independence and reestablishing price and financial stability as the central bank's main responsibilities. Their policy objectives, they have said, include bringing down inflation to single digits within two years through higher interest rates and rebuilding international reserves, mostly as a result of the expectation that large or significant capital inflows. More broadly, I think the opposition proposes to institutionalize economic policy making of Turkey. Normalization of policies, going to policies that were part of the Turkey's policy framework pre-2021 and, and you know, have been implemented in the past with uh, relative success, faces, of course, a different set of challenges now after the distortions that we've seen or created over the past couple of years, as well as the external environment, right? So, for instance, you know, significant distortions as a result of this loose monetary policy are also combined or with these regulatory and capital flow management measures that create challenge, you know, or how to actually address the pent-up FX demand and also how to manage the increased relationship or linkage between public finances and banks, especially as a result of 
some of these so-called macroprudential measures or targeted measures require banks to buy long-term fixed rate local currency dominated bonds very you know cheap rates if they do not comply with targets related to de-dollarization or credit allocation so we have to mention that you know that although a change or a, in the policy direction is probably feasible under both sides you know the type of adjustment may be different the challenges are large and one key variable that both approaches either you know man trying to maintain the the policy settings as they are or taking a different turn return to more conventional policy approach will be highly dependent on the availability of external financing because of this large current account deficit that we saw in the first quarter of the year but also as a result of the, the pressure that we see still in the FX market and the decline in international reserves. Then the, the timing and type of financing, of course, could be different depending on which alternative actually gets to power. Right. Thanks. Sounds like either candidate would have their work cut out for them entering into this current economic situation. You mentioned that policy adjustments lacking credibility or predictability could have an a perverse effect on Turkey's economy. How do you see the political uncertainty around this election impacting the economy? Obviously, it's gone it's gone to a runoff election with the original election results intending to be d- decided the 14th of May. What what does all this uncertainty mean for financial markets, for potentially foreign investors and for Turkey's uh, credit rating going forward? Yes, so I mean what we have seen in the weeks leading up to the first round of the election is that authorities have continued to try to reduce or manage local FX demand, which has resulted actually in an increase in, in gold imports. I mean, we've seen this development, you know, since last year and actually accelerated towards the end of 2022 and early 2023, in significant increase in FX protected deposits. So just to provide some, some figures, right? I mean, gold imports increased to about 20 billion in 2022 and reached 10 billion in the first quarter of 2023 authorities have put out some measures to try to reduce or or you know limit the the, the import of gold in order to reduce the pressures on the current account deficit but nonetheless you know it seems that you know that the demand for alternative vehicles to store value or to manage the high inflation remains there also, in terms of this instrument, the FX protected deposit, which is very central to the government strategy to manage FX demand. We saw this instrument coming down or declining to about 76 billion at the end of 2022, from a peak of about 82 billion at the end of October of last year. Since then, FX protected deposits have rose to 120 billion, with you know increases in, in April actually picking up pace, right? So from our perspective, you know, this uncertainty, this demand of alternative vehicles to just lira deposits, for instance, has led to the increased gold imports as well as this revival of FX protected deposits. First, you know, these instruments had a cap of 300 basis points against the policy rate, but as the government decided to continue the monetary policy easing in 2022 and early 2023, they actually had to leave the cap. And, you know, now this, these deposits have rates are higher, closer to probably where Lira Trimon deposits would be, which is close to 30%. And as a result, people have 
and companies have actually increased their exposure there. The risk is, of course, that it represents a contingent liability for the budget, right? Because if there is a sharp period of depreciation, they, they will have to pay the compensation as they had to do in 2022. And also, these term deposits are really, you know, three months, three months in, in, in terms of terms, but also uh, the government has lowered the term to one month in, in April. So you have these maturities coming over and the risk is this, this let's say, quasi-FX instrument, actually holders of this, this instrument can go out and try to find actually FX, thus adding to additional pressure in the local FX market. And this pressure is building as a result, you know, of, of this electoral cycle, we, we have seen a, an increase in the budget deficit, which is now almost more than double what we saw for the total budget deficit in 2022. So in the first four months of the year, we estimate that the budget deficit reached about 1.8% of GDP. Total for 2022 was 0.9% of GDP, so significant fiscal expansion. And the current account deficit, as mentioned before, right? I mean, you saw an increase and we have 24 billion in the first, in the first quarter, right, of 2023. Just as a measure of comparison, that's almost half what we saw for the full year in 2022. And this in a year, of course, where we have a, this commodity price shock impact in Turkey and the rest of the global economy, right? And reserves have come down with 205 billion in May 12th, with net international reserves actually coming down to zero. And we think that, you know, that the trend, the pressure on reserves will continue. So overall, I mean, we also have seen external financing costs actually increasing and rising sharply after the first round of election, right? So increasing the challenges to access external financing and the cost the private sector will have to incur. So given this mix of, you know, increased demand for alternative instruments to Lira, and given, you know, this built up of imbalances on the fiscal and external side, the risk is that there is that a prolonged uncertainty from the policy side or from the political side could accelerate the pressures that we see on reserves or be sustained over a longer period of time, which creates additional risk, right? From our view right now is that the orderly conclusion of the electoral process would help to reduce political uncertainty. But given these still questions about how in the case of an incumbent administration, policies will be rolled out in order to address these rising macroeconomic imbalances, policy uncertainty could remain present for some period after. So I think you also asked about the ratings. So what do we incorporate in our current assessment of Turkey, right? So we affirmed the rating at B with a negative outlook in March 2023. And the negative outlook reflects the view that, um, I mean, Turkey's policy mix is not consistent or sustainable because of this reliance on negative real rates and increasing use of regulatory measure and controls, right? So we think that absent any changes, the pressures on the lira or the FX will remain strong and inflation will remain at a high level, right? So this, of course, constrains the availability of external finances and increases their cost. So let's look if there's positive policy adjustments, let's say, right? So in terms of what could ease downward pressures on the sovereign rating, currently on a negative outlook again. So we will remain after, after the election focused on to what extent a shift towards a more credible and consistent policy mix can stabilize confidence reduce macroeconomic and financial stability risks derived from these you know, building pressures that we just discussed and improve access to external financing. 
However, I want, probably want to go back to earlier point, right? So the significant distortions that this extremely loose monetary policy have stands with this regulatory and capital flow management measure make the adjustment not straightforward because of this pent-up foreign exchange demand. And again, this increased linkage between public finances and banks, especially in relation to long-term currency bond prices. So on the other hand, you know, if we don't see a sustainable policy mix or a prolonged period of political uncertainty, as your first question was alluding to, you know, this could again go in the different direction, you know, and increase this macroeconomic balance of payment pressures we're seeing right now. But also, you know, a policy adjustment that relies on continued targeted regulation to lower financing costs, domestically manage the allocation of credit or ease pressure on the lira by controlling the foreign exchange demand and aims to reduce financial dollarization could create risk for, for Turkey's sovereign ratings. Why? Because we think that this policy approach could increase vulnerabilities in a banking sector that until now, in spite of all the financial distress episodes has been resilient. And that can come from you know, increased exposure to sovereign debt with negative real yields or adversely impact profitability and potentially asset quality. But I think, the bigger point is that you know the, the increasing number and frequency of measures and changes in direction just increases regulatory uncertainty, right? And could exacerbate liquidity risk and undermine you know the posture confidence eventually or reduce access to external financing. So those are the two, you know, the, the two factors we're looking after the elections, to what extent policy changes can either reduce the pressures they have built or been exacerbated in the round to elections, or just continue creating additional sources of pressure or challenges for the authorities. Great. Thanks for outlining those those factors. I guess I'd just like to conclude by asking you what other developments you're watching. Are there other factors beyond the election results that could impact Turkey's economic outlook in the coming months or years? And then maybe how the results of this election would impact Turkey's relations with, with other countries and what implications that could have for Turkey in, in the long term. So kind of geopolitical question there at the end. Sure. So no need to reiterate the first aspect we're going to focus in what are the policy adjustment or policy settings post-election and to what extent these are sustainable. Also, of course, to watch would be the trajectory of the leader, right? Although we've seen a slight depreciation in recent weeks, still the sense that given the demand pressures, we see, you know, the low reserves, the high current account deficit, high inflation, you know, probably the leader is likely to be weaker are following the elections. I think that, you know, also touching about this, this continuation, potential continuation of, of the policy settings that the, the, the incumbent government has applied, I think we have to say again, you know, public finances and banks have been a key relative strength for Turkey and resilient to successive periods of financial stress. Just to repeat, you know, government debt, I mean, compared to a post-COVID world is extremely low. It's about 30% of GDP. And the central government deficit was 0.9% of GDP last year. So certainly not, not fiscal pressures. But it will be important to what extent the continuation of a policy direction prior to the election would be feasible, right, in terms of what we saw rapid expenditure growth combined with a weaker revenue growth as a result of, you know, slowing economy and, and the shocks of the earthquake, but also how does the government manage to incorporate, you know, or, or find the sources for the earthquake rebuilding efforts, right, without exacerbating the pressure on the external side or 
having to have the banking sector provide additional space in order to finance the government reconstruction effort. It's important to say, you know, that, that you know, the banking sector in Turkey holds about three quarters of all outstanding domestic debt of the sovereign at this point. The external access to financing is key, right? I mean, we've seen, as, as you mentioned, you know, the deals and CDS have jumped over the past few days, which, which means that much needed external finance is going forward it's likely to be a more expensive, right? So important to take into account, right? That that you know, foreign investor direct participation in Turkey has has declined, right? Oh, in in over the past few years, like if we look at the domestic bond market, for instance, I mean, foreign investors held 0.6% of government debt at the end of April. This is down from 2.9 in 2021, and 20% in September 2017. So we've seen an exodus of foreign investor and domestic fixed income market. Also in the local stock market, right? Non-residence holdings have declined from about 55 billion in January 2018 to about 24 billion in April 2023. Net FDI, for instance, I mean, Turkey has attracted less than 1% of GDP on average since 2019. And Turkey's external debt of poor banks and corporates has also been on a declining trend uh, from close to about 40, 42% of GDP in 2018 to estimated 33% in 2022 with the banking sector being the main driver for this deleveraging process. Nevertheless, in, in, in spite of this, let's say, direct exposure to foreign investor sentiment, there's still a high reliance on external financing because we have a high current account deficit, as discussed before, but also because when we look at debt coming due or maturing in the next 12 months, the number is significant, close to $200 billion, right? So. Yes, foreign investors have reduced their exposure to the Turkey onshore or internal market, but still Turkey needs to ask external financing. So for us, it's a key factor to, to monitor to what extent investors will continue to provide this financing to Turkey post-elections. One thing to note as well, and something for us to watch, is this very popular discussion topics back in 2022 about the net errors and omissions, right? This mysterious inflow that were responsible for about half the financing of the current account deficit in 2022. These inflows or financing declined significantly in the first quarter of the year. And so the burden of financing the current account deficit came mostly or the majority came on the side of international reserves, actually. So it's something to watch. I mean, something you can never discount completely and has been proven to be relatively resilient in periods of previous stress. And the final point to watch, for instance, on what we're looking at is that in spite of the elections, politics will remain a key factor determining the policy choices that any new administration would have. First, we have that the local elections in 2024 that are not far away and there are incentives for both sides or competing sides in this election to try to, you know, sustain or make gains in, in the local elections. Also, what is not going away and what we see in, in the post where is the high degree of political polarization present in Turkey. So it's something to watch as well. And to what extent, you know, coalition politics becomes important post-elections again, right? And this not only has to do, you know, with electoral alliances, but also to what extent new coalition or alliance partners either at the government level or at the opposition level, you know, influence policy settings, right? Regarding your question about, you know, like what the implications are for broader international relations for Turkey, 
I think that our view has been that we do not expect substantive or rapid changes in terms of policy, foreign policy priorities and orientation. I think that there was the discussion that maybe, you know, a changing government could change the tone. Uh, it's a little bit of the, of, the, of the conversation, but nonetheless, we've seen that in previous year, foreign policy to a large extent, has not been an area of large disagreement between the opposition and the government. So, so we would not expect dramatic changes. I think also one important thing to see is that after the first round of parliamentary elections, the issue of refugees, of Syrian refugees in Turkey has become much more a domestic political concern and consideration. So we have to see to what extent this issue also has an influence on the relationship of Turkey with Syria, right? Given that we've seen now, let's say, an opening of regional neighbors to having more engagement with Syria, uh, and this has been led by Saudi Arabia, to what extent in this new, let's say, regional reality, Turkey can, can, you know, can have a more direct discussion with Syria, you know, that balances Turkey's security concerns, but also this issue of refugees that is of importance, so it has become a domestic importance, right? On the West, relations with the West, certainly the obvious one is what happens with Sweden's accession to, to NATO, and the government has not given any signals that look for a, that can, can point to a like rapid resolution of this. So this may, may become an issue and probably the first order issue for see to what extent the relationship can become much more, let's say, uh, devoid of tensions or how this can become an issue actually that creates more, more uncertainty or more, much more discussion between the, the alliance and, and NATO partners, right? Also, we expect that uh, as a result, you know, of regional developments uh, and, and Turkey's uh, foreign policy orientation before the elections, you know, we will see this continued rapprochement between Turkey and regional powers such as Saudi Arabia, also with Egypt, as well as uh, United Arab Emirates, right? And also we've seen that over the past couple of years, we have seen also some financial support, right, from this from these cash-rich neighbors. You know, we saw last year the swap with the United Arab Emirates, and this year are deposits of the Saudi investment fund in Turkey to boost up reserves. And relations with the West, you know, and expectations, even under the most like sunny scenario in which, you know, relations can be devoid of tension. The question remains, you know, from, from Turkey's side, what is in the relationship for them, right? What can actually Europe or the U.S. deliver in the short term in order to provide, you know, incentives to better cooperation, right? We see that in terms of like uh, defense industry, although there seems to be some movement in Washington, for instance, for the, the sale of upgrade kits for F-16s, for instance, still there's no sign that, you know, further or a more important purchase of new equipment or new, new aircraft is going to be easy or in the cards in the, in the table in anytime soon. On the side, on the type, on the side of Europe, Europe, you know, I mean, one of the candidates mentioned, right, that maybe, uh, you know, that the, the, the visa-free travel will be something imminent. It's hard to judge right now, and we don't see any signs of that happening, but certainly, you know, it seems that from the from the partner side, that not much, let's say, immediate benefits that Turkey can get, you know, from actually having a much more constructive relation with the West. It's something more like a, a period of confidence building, and probably some of the benefits can come over the medium long term. So no change immediately that we expect after elections. Great. Well, thank you so much, Eric, as you walked us through all of those different political and economic factors of everything that's riding on this election. It's going to be fascinating to see what happens this Sunday. Thank you as well to our listeners for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe to OMFIF Podcasts wherever they are available on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else you get podcasts. So with that, I'd like to bring this discussion to a close. And thank you, Eric, once again for joining thank us. Thank you. Thank you, Taylor, for the invitation.
thank you for listening to the Omfif podcast.